0: Good morning That's when the uh, bumper's done Let's read together Turn to Genesis In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth The earth was without form and void And darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water, the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Genesis. It's the beginning, right? In the beginning, God. The Bible starts with God. It's a story about God. It is not a story about you. It is for you. You aren't Abraham. You aren't Jacob. You aren't Moses. And you're not David. These are stories about God. And this is no more obvious than in the book of Genesis. Here's where we learn how he acts in history, how he interacts with his people, what he is like, what he does. He is the hero of the story. Let's not forget that. Genesis gives us the backdrop for the rest of the entire Bible. Now, because we live in the West, immediately our minds jump to the question of how? How did he create the world? How did it happen? How did God create the heavens and the earth? And you can Google it as easy as anyone. Right? Is it the gap theory? Is it the age theory? Is it the apparent age theory? Is it the punctuated 24-hour theory? Is it scientific creationism? Was it the literal six days? Or was it the framework interpretation? Or was it historical creationism? I don't know. It gets complicated very quickly remember being in high school, evolution was strong. It was kind of like all of a sudden there was this press in in the the 80s, right, in the 90s. And really didn't know what to do about it as a young Christian. I was actually afraid of it because I knew at any moment they were going to find something that was going to disprove Christianity. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. And so I was like, oh, I've got to learn as much as I can so I can be ready because I don't know what's it's going to upend my faith. I'm not going to be able to prove that God actually did it. And it was a real fear. I remember telling God about it. I remember, I was just, I know you're real, Father. At least I'm pretty sure. What am I going to do when I, I can't refute people that are smarter than I am when they're arguing about this evidence of, of evolution is real? Because science at the time had Christianity on its heels, it seemed. At least to me. And the little bit that I knew. And it's not like that anymore. But I studied and I studied and I taught with people smarter than me that had studied it longer. And what I finally realized after many years, that it is good to study and to learn how God made the heavens and the earth. But as I studied the Bible more and more, I studied the process. I learned why Genesis was written. I learned that it was, I was asking questions of a book that it was not concerned with answering. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. Should uh, should we be able to refute and understand why we don't believe in evolution? Sure. Absolutely. As Christians, we need to know our context and speak truth to it. But the Bible doesn't primarily answer how creation was accomplished as much as it accomplished uh, or or as much as it answers why. Okay, why it was accomplished, because we want specifics on on how, because we live after the time of evolution. The author of Genesis wasn't trying to solve that problem. There's a bunch of ideas out here. So what we ask is, can we believe, can Christians believe different ones where God is the center and still be Christian? Yeah. It's similar to how we think the earth is going to end. There are different eschatological views, different ways we think the end of the, the world will come. And we hold them with what we call an open hand. Unity, but in love with grace toward one another. These are not views that affect our salvation. Okay. So let's grant grace to one another in controversial subjects so that we can love God more and each other better because of it. So with this in mind, we've set aside, and when I say we, uh, Limestone and Madison are coming together to, to do what's ca- what we're calling a creation forum, October 23rd. It'll be a Sunday night, and we're going to discuss these kind of things that are uh, pertinent to culture, but not necessarily what Genesis is addressing. Genesis is addressing, we're going to hit that Sunday morning. Because that's going to be kind of the focus, why it was actually written. And so just look for that. Because Genesis is not primarily written as an apologetic or, or a defense against evolution. It's written, here's what Genesis is written for. It's written by Moses on the plains of Moab to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land, right? He's trying to explain who their God was, who they were, what their relationship was with him. And what the expectations were. Here's the covenant. Here are the expectations that are on you, because here is who God is. If you remember Moses, you remember he was pulled out of the, the little basket floating down the river? Moses pulled out of the basket by the Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in the Egyptian courts and, and he was raised with an Egyptian education. And Moses understood all about the gods and goddesses of Egypt which is just where the children of Israel came out and had been exposed to the gods and goddesses of Egypt for the last 400 plus years. Their faith outlook is messed up. He is resetting their understanding of who God is. And that's a good thing for us to do too. We're always in need of remembering who God is and why he's worthy of worship. And so we're going to look at two aspects today of Genesis 1. And then we're going to revisit it again next week in a different light. So just two points today. Number one, attributes of God, patterns of God. Okay? So we're going to just look at four attributes. Are there more? Absolutely. We don't, we don't have time to do any more than that, right? So first, let's look at four attributes. First, we see the power of God. The Bible uses a special word here. It says uh, created. Right? God created the heavens and the earth. Nowhere else is this word used for man. No, nowhere in the Bible is the word used for man. Nothing man does. Man makes things. God creates things. Right? Because one minute there's nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean, it's like, I don't even, I really can't even get my mind around that concept. Like, here's nothing. Well, still something. There's a pocket and vacuum full of air and molecules. I'm like, no, it's like less than that. Like, it's, it's the, absence of nothing. I I mean, I don't, I don't know how you would define nothing. It just, I mean, right there, I kind of lose it. Right. But you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm a science major too. So I'm like, you know, so God took, he took nothing, however you take it, you you know, grab nothing. And then there was something. Okay. Right. So, I mean, that, that's something, something doesn't come from nothing unless you're God. And so at that point you just, and you're like okay you know about because let there be light and there was light. And you just think the, the way that God spoke this and the Bible says he spoke it not that he thought it. That's very intentional, don't you think? That God spoke and things happen. God loves relationship, he exists in the community, he loves his children, he loves his creation. He spoke. Speaking is communal. It's relational. Thinking is not necessarily like that. And so Jesus, he spoke light. And it says that the earth was without form and void, right? It was, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And so at first dark and chaos abounded. There's no form to anything. And then God spoke. Let there be light. Simply put, didn't write a dissertation. Just wrote. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the waters. Just, just pretend you're like eight years old and tell this song, this story. And he took the waters and he separated it. He's painting a picture. And he made the sky and the sea different. And on the third day, he caused dry land to come up and appear out of nowhere. Now, remember, this is Moses writing. And he's telling this to the children of Israel. What do you think of if you just came out of Egypt through the Red Sea and you think land appeared out of nowhere? You see how this is? This is who you are, Israelites. Remember when you were in captivity with the Egyptians and Moses showed up on the scene and there were the ten plagues and you got out and you were on the run from Pharaoh and God made a way when there was no way, when there was nothing but water in front of you and he separated the sea and the sky and then he, he caused land to come up when there was no land in Exodus 14. The creator God, the same God that rescued you from Egypt. So in the first three days we've got light and dark and sky and sea and now land and plants that are formed. And you'll notice that days 1, 2, and 3 correspond directly with days 4, 5, and 6. God, God forms on day 4 the sun, moon, and the stars, and it fills day 1's light and dark. Right? Day 5, God fills the seas with fish and the sky with birds, which fills day 2's sky and sea. And day 6, God says, let the earth bring forth animals and man and fill the land that was made on day 3. And so we've got this correlation of day one and day four and day two and day five and day three and day six. What's going on there? He's bringing order out of chaos. But here's what he's doing, too. He's creating realms or kingdoms. And then he's filling them with inhabitants or kingdom citizens. You see how he's creating a kingdom because he's a king. It's just in his image all the way through. It's not that we just think and, and, and have feelings and emotions like God. all of creation resounds with a reflection of some aspect of who God is. Next we see the eternality of God. It's all of a sudden there was no time. Like there was nothing, right? And then... And and actually, in the Hebrew, it's not in the beginning. It's just in beginning. Like, you know, just around here somewhere. And then this happened. And there was time. And yet he exists outside of time. And he made a beginning and invented the thing called time. And he was and he is and he is to come. And he's the great uncreated Just to think, the one thing that's not created, the one being that's not created, he is unique in his very being. These are all little pieces of why he's worthy of worship, why he demands our worship. We see the creativity of God. The snow-capped mountains, right? I've been in Nepal. I've actually seen snow-capped mountains. The endless oceans, the giant redwoods rolling meadows of grass sunsets rivers that feed valleys he thought that up we enjoy the beauty of it we like to recreate it in some small way we like to visit it we like to look at it why is it when you look at nature or mountains or the grand canyon you're amazed you're in awe you love it you want to be closer to it you want to be part of it doesn't mean you like hiking necessarily right but you you like Ah, there's something in you that just make it a bigger picture. I want to be there instead of looking at a picture. The camera can't do it justice. We say these kind of things. I mean, very few people think that's terrible when you look at Mount Everest. I've not met one of them yet. There's something hardwired in, right? It's totally different than I took my kids to a landfill the other day because we were going to, to dump some stuff off. And I'm like, smell that? That's attractive. What is that, Dad? I'm like, that's what you make. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's that's what we do. <laughs> God makes beauty and creativity in nature, and we're drawn to it. What rises up in you? It's because nature's doing what it was made to do. It's still subject to our sin, and so it decays and it dies. But it's doing more of what it was made to do than we are. We actively rebel because of sin, right? But we're drawn to nature. We find it beautiful. It's what we're created for. We recognize it's music, if you will, right? It's music. It's praising of our creator, and it invites us in to join the song. That, that's what nature's doing. It's hardwired into us. Nature invites us, come sing along, sing along, and our hearts get kind of caught up in it. And that's not an accident. It, it evokes a, a sense of joy and desire and beauty of realizing that there's something that's bigger th- than we are. It makes you glad that you're near it. It wants you to just kind of, you just want to jump in the picture, right, and, and be part of the river or the waterfall or the mountain. That's the big things. You can look at the small things, too. I was a like a, a biology major, and if you study even little things, like I almost went into entomology, and bumblebees, like, theoretically, should not be able to fly because the wing surface area of their wing is too small to lift and create enough drag for to lift their large bodies to fly. But they do. How do you explain that? I don't know. Something came out of nothing, and then there was this bumblebee. I mean, you know, sometimes it's just that's all you got. You know, and, and it's just an amazing thing. And, and our response is, the more we know, the more we're amazed. And these are just little things. I could probably just get my Ranger Rick magazine out and read a bunch of stuff, right? My kids love that. The Crap Brothers. How creative is God? We love it. Guess, it. guess what? God loves it when we love his creativity. Because it, it, it's displaying his glory and being recognized. We're like, that's awesome. Well, that's why I made it. Thank you. That's right. When I was younger, I used to lay on the hood of my car, and I would just look up and drive in the middle. I was from Mississippi. Drove in the middle of nowhere, and we'd just look up at the stars. Massive, starry sky, and just wonder, how far away are those stars? How big are they? I mean, Where are they in their life cycle? How big is this universe? I enjoyed just the awe of how big that felt. Psalm 19:1 says, "The heavens declare, speaking, communicating. They say, they praise, they sing, they declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork." We can't just gloss over that verse. And I realized this week when I was studying this, I don't look up as much as I used to. I don't. I don't look up. I look straight ahead. I'm getting stuff done. I'm being a dad. I'm being a husband. I'm taking care of things. I don't just stop and go, that's pretty awesome. I remember when I used to just gaze for hours at the stars. We lose God among the mysteries of his wonder. All of nature is a choir singing the praises of God for the whole world to hear. Right? And we ought to look up more. We take time to just look up and be reminded of the vast glory and ability of God. To remind us how small we are, but we're not insignificant to Him, that He is also transcendent and imminent. He is above all, and yet He cares about the number of the hairs on your head at the same time. Only God can do that. I've got four kids, I'm busy. Right? We, we we're limited and so small. And finally we see that God takes Pleasure in things. This is so good for me to know. He he didn't create any of it out of loneliness or out of the need to prove himself or, or out of some need to exert power over something inferior to him. He created out of an overflow of joy in himself amongst the Trinity of perfect love to spread his glory in all of the earth. And nature is a choir for the glory of God. And He wants us to sing along and to praise with Him. And here's what all creation is saying. Here's what they're, they're echoing, in, in, it's echoing in, in Genesis. Our Maker says that we are good. Our Maker enjoys us. Our Maker delights in us. The way He made us is perfect. That, that's the song of creation. Isaiah 55:12 talks about, says, The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Or it's just a picture. Those are four attributes of God. Let's look at a few patterns that we see. Because whenever you're in the Old Testament, it's really important that you recognize patterns. Because they're there for a reason. They keep reoccurring. The first one we see is that God initiates. Right? In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, there was a need. In the beginning, humans. Not in the beginning, it was just God. And the rest are the details. It started with him. It was his idea. Creation was done by him. It was through him. It was for him. It exists for his glory, for our joy and his. And we look at it and we roll it back up to him. And this magnifies him and makes much of him. God initiated his idea, his thought. That's a pattern. Israel didn't choose themselves. God delighted in them. He didn't choose them because they were a great number. We did that last week with Deuteronomy 7. He loved them because he was pleased to love them. He created because he was pleased to create. A second one we've seen. God initiates. God brings order from chaos. He created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. This is a pattern. It's not just in Genesis 1. It's not just in Isaiah. It's not just at the Red Sea. It's not just in Babylon. It's not just in the New Testament when you need to be born again. It is a recurring pattern begun for a reason, exhibited in the physical to be expressed in the spiritual. We'll see that in a minute. God, there's no possible way I'm going to make it through this. God's answer, Genesis 1. Well, I I did create the heavens and the earth out of nothing one time before. I did make dry land appear out of nothing one time before. I did provide manna and water for my people in the wilderness one time before. You, You see how the patterns are important? to understand the nature of God, the character of God. This is not a whim here and a whim there, and let's see what happens when I do that. This is who God is. You need to know these patterns. Next pattern, he brings life out of nothing. We see fish and birds and animals and humans formed and life given from nothing, from no existence by a simple word of the Lord into reality. We believe life is from God, and this has massive implications from caring for your children to why we're against abortion. It's not of us. It's of him. It's his idea. He brings life out of nothing. Number 4, purpose out of a void. Purpose out of aimlessness. Right? There was chaos and formlessness. God brought order and reason and purpose to everything. All the inhabitants of each kingdom from day one through three had a purpose, right? It was to praise their maker, to give glory to him, to fill the earth with his praise. That's the purpose. You're giving reason to live. You're not purposeless at all. Have you found joy and meaning in the fact that you have purpose? Because if you, if you try to find purpose somewhere else in what you were created for, you come up empty. You will, and you'll chase one thing after another after another until you understand why you were made. And finally, we see light from darkness. Right? This is a good news pattern <laughs> we're seeing here, right? Dark over the deep. Because he didn't just make it like it was going to be all of a sudden. I mean, it's like he created the heavens and the earth, and then the next verse says the earth was without form. It didn't have form. It could have made it just with form, but it was made without form and void, and darkness was all over the face of the deep. Does that sound familiar? But in the darkness, verse 2 also tells us this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It wasn't just isolation and darkness. God was there. And this word hover is not like a mist hovering over a body of water that is like impersonal. The word hover is only used in, different, in, 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 in the rest of the Old Testament. It's used like an eagle over a nest waiting for the family. And we see that. God spoke and light came flooding in and separated it from the darkness. We see that God speaks light into darkness. And darkness doesn't mean loneliness because God is there. And so these are some of the attributes that we just see in Genesis 1 right here. And then these are some patterns that God establishes for us. And they lead us to worship like they led Israel when it was created. And, And if the world is created to praise God's glory and echo his fame... If nature is a choir where trees clap their hands and mountains break forth into singing, if grand views like starry nights and Mount Everest or the beauty of a stunning sunset of God's creativity inspire awe, question. Why don't we just join in? Why don't, why don't we? I mean, we get tired of looking at Mount Everest. I was there for a week. I'd see it, see it, see it. That's beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's. Awesome. I'm kind of tired. I've seen that. It's one of the greatest effects of the fall is that we get tired of things. God never gets tired of things because they express His glory, they express His beauty, and then sin for us, we get tired of beauty because we start to see it, and what else is new for me? Here's a, a quote from George Whitfield. It's in one of his sermons about creation. It says, have, haven't you ever noticed when you come near the animals, they growl at us. They bark at us. And the birds screech at us and fly away. Do you know why? They know we have a quarrel with their master. It's a beautiful song that we can't really be a part of. We can just observe it. Because we have a quarrel with our master. There's something wrong and fractured with creation. And it's our sin. And all of creation is groaning together to be restored from the effects of that sin. That we have caused it to bear. You and I. And because of this sin, our maker no longer comes to us like he did in the garden and in the first days, and says, you are good. I delight in you. I enjoy you. There's been a fracture. We have rebelled. We have run away. And there's not only a fracture between us and creation, but us and God himself, the image bearers and the image maker. And because he's holy and because of the depth of our sin, we're removed from the garden, removed from his blessing. And eventually will be removed from his presence unless something is done to make wrong, to make the wrong right. But remember his attributes and remember his patterns. Don't forget his patterns. The gospel is in Genesis. Genesis displays the gospel, right? God initiates in creation. It wasn't anybody else's idea. It wasn't creation's idea. God brings order from chaos. He's like a potter working with a mound of clay we see in verses 3 and following. He brings life out of nothing, light out of darkness. These patterns are not only for the first creation, but for the crowning one, the image of God. Right? Remember I said physical realities are pictures of spiritual realities in the Bible, right? The, the creation of the world was the pattern for the creation of the Christian. This is how you need to see that, and it's not the end game either. There's going to be the great re-creation or the re-genesis at the end. I almost wanted to call it the title of the series "Regenesis," but it would have just been like what. What's that? And because in the Hebrew, there's not a definite article in the, there's no the beginning. It's in beginning. And then again, it'll be in the new beginning when all the wrongs are made right. Second Corinthians 4, 6. For God who, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, I was using that creation language. I bet you know another one. First, second Corinthians five seventeen. Behold, old things are gone and you are a new creation. Oh, there's Genesis. He just takes it. You're a new creation from death comes life. From dark comes light. You have a new start. A new creation. You are a new being. You're not better. You're not 2.0. It's not a turning over a new leaf. It's not working harder. It's not fixing the old. It's not making up for the bad. It's new. That's Christianity. Everything else is religion. Trying harder. Do better. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I'm going to quit this bad habit. I'm going to stop that. It's not on you. Should that stuff change? Yeah. Why? You have a new heart. The Holy Spirit can change you. He hovers over the waters of the darkness and brings life out of nothing. And not only nothing but rebellion where we ran against God. We were his enemies, the Bible tells us. And so breaking forth God's uh, uh, picture of light coming out of darkness and creation is a pattern of his saving work on the cross that opens our dark hearts for the light of, of the gospel. And for that to happen, you know what Jesus had to do? This is the amazing reversals that we see in the gospel. Not, not for that Jesus, the light of the world had to descend into darkness. He had to take his life and put it into death. He had to absorb the wrath, and instead of having God sing over him and be delighted in him because of the relationship that they had had from before all eternity was started, he says, separation. And so instead of separating the sky and the seas, it's separation of the Godhead. So that there can be an amazing reuniting. He brought order out of chaos, purpose out of aimlessness, life out of nothing. This is recreation, regenesis in miniature for each Christian. Your life is a picture of the gospel. Because of Jesus and his sacrifice, when you believe in him, you are reconciled with God. You are brought back into relationship with him. You are made friends with God. He came and rescued you when you stood in opposition to him. And you were dead, and you were in darkness. That's that's the gospel. (laughs) And he went into the darkness. He went into your darkness, knowing full well what it would cost him. And he spoke light. And he redeemed your life. And he has now put you in a position to hear him say, like he did to creation, you are good. You are loved. You are enjoyed. I delight in you. And you and I don't deserve that. It's the grace of God That he speaks to us like he did in Genesis 1. And it's a refrain because Genesis 1 is a song. It's not a historical narrative. And he created, and it was good. And he did this, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. Six times, it was good. And then at the end, it was very good. And he's hovering over you, and he's singing that. And we get, as Christians brought back into the fellowship of God, we sing with all of creation that very song. Over ourselves, over one another, you are good. You've been remade. You are a new creation. Don't forget that. Stop living like you aren't a new creation and live like you are who you are. He has done a good work and he is faithful to complete it. He is going to complete it just like he began creation. He's going to finish creation one day and you're a little creation that was started and are being worked on right alongside all of creation right now as you breathe. Do do you, do you see that? It's a cosmic level, and all things are being set right. And one day we won't have the possibility of sinning. We're going to be so free that we can freely run as hard as we can without being tripped up. And we'll be able to lay aside every weight and every sin. And we'll be able to actually look at Mount Everest and take in the song and be part of it. And we will say, as we read in Revelation 4, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So what we want to do this morning, I just want to put two prayer directives up on the screen. Two of them. Genesis 1 leads us to worship. We're not going to pray uh, unless you just really feel led to pray for repentance or pray for something that just will not leave. It's just on your heart. I just want to spend time in adoration and praise this morning. We're not asking God to do anything for us. We're just recognizing who he is. And our response is, here's our hearts we have rebelled. We look at your, your, your glory, your creation, and we yawn. And we don't realize that we are affected by sin. We have very low self-awareness. God, help us to thank you, to praise you. So we want to praise God and thank him for the gospel picture of Genesis and the regenesis that we see in our hearts, that he's turned us around, that he is turning us around, that he is the way that we will be turned around, that we do not want to yawn when we think of you. We want to be excited and be on fire to, to have our hearts explode in praise, which is a normal response when you encounter God. Nobody walks up to God and she goes, that's all right. Nobody. Nobody does. If you do, you have not seen him. You have seen what you have created, not what he has created. You you see the the difference? It's huge. The difference is what your life looks like, how you want to live your life. That's what the difference is. If you can just live like this and worship, then you don't know Jesus. I'm not mad. I'm excited. We can't live lives that are blah, blah. And I'm not saying you need to be raising your hands and jumping on one leg when you're worshiping, right? I'm saying your heart needs to have something alive in it, or you're not. My wife and I worship very differently. I'm, you know, and my my kids make fun of me, you know, they make fun of how I worship. I'm going to worship like Dad today, you know. And then my wife, she just stands there the whole time because that's just the way she's made. Fine. I'm talking about your heart, and so is Jesus. So we're going to pray that God would transform our hearts. So we would be a worshiping people, one that falls on our face in repentance, that falls on our face in worship, that loves who Jesus is, that loves what God loves, that hates what God hates, that wants to see God's will in heaven be done here on earth the way it is there. We want to see it perfect. We want to see his name lifted high. And if we don't care about that, that he would break us until we do. And then the second would be that we would acknowledge this time of adoration and creation. That we would say, hey, read Psalm 8 or read Psalm 96 or read Psalm 104 right where you are right now. The worship team could come on up. I mean, just spend time. And we're going to let maybe three or, or four minutes kind of go by there. And then we're going to take communion together. I'm going to close this out in a prayer. And then when we do take communion, I'm not going to really explain it. I'm going to tell you a little bit right now. It's just there are two tables here and there are three in the back. And if this is new for you, we just take a piece of bread and we we dip it in juice. It's representing Jesus' body dipped into his blood. It's a picture of Genesis being remade because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're being remade. The world's being remade. You're a new creation. And so we celebrate that if you're a Christian. If you're not, that's cool. Just hang out and pray that God would help you care. And so let's just take two or three minutes. Whoever wants to, maybe we'll just have some music playing. And then at the end of that, I'm going to pray and lead us into a time of communion together. So let's, let's pray together.